Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. In a week when children are heading back to school, Brexit negotiations or non-negotiations are back on the agenda, we're revisiting a subject that we've discussed in the past, but in the light of recent months, may be taking on a new importance for those who are having to consider their options for work, or those businesses who may be looking to pivot. This week, we're taking a look at the world of franchising. Now, whether you're in the market to become a franchisee, or if you're looking to franchise your business to others, there are quite a few things to consider. Tracy, where did your research begin on this one? Okay, I just jumped in at the deep end, Heather, and I went to the the list of the top 100 franchises in the UK just to get a feel for what was out there. Um, Most of them didn't surprise me. So number one is McDonald's. And obviously we know that that's a fast food franchise. And according to the website um, franchisedirect.co.uk, the franchise fee for McDonald's is £30,000 with a minimum investment of £110,000 and total investment estimated between £350,000 and £1 million. There's a royalty stroke management fee of 5%, an advertising fee of 4.5% and you're contracted for 20 years. That's one Heck of a big franchise. A big 20 company. years? Yeah. Okay. So that was McDonald's. And then I, I had to look a little bit further down the list. There was a company called Expense Reduction Analysts at number nine. And they, they were listed as a business consulting franchise. So I'd, I'd heard of Domino's, Starbucks, Pizza Hut, Swarovski, KFC, Subway, Molly Maid. And then this came in at number nine. So I thought I'd have a look. Now, expense reduction analysts is um, a business strategy, supply management and cost optimization solution provider. And they've got clients that are businesses, hospitals, colleges, schools, charities. And the franchisees help the clients to optimize their overhead expenditure and create opportunities for growth whilst minimizing risks. It was established in 1992 and they've got 115 franchises in the UK. Franchise fee is £44,900 with a minimum investment of 20000 and a total investment of 60000 Ongoing management fee of 15% and an advertising fee of 3% with a contract period of 10 years. So at the opposite ends of the scale for me, really. One fast food we know a lot about and then this uh, business consulting model. Now, apparently ERA have got an 18-month startup programme which teaches the franchisees techniques and methodologies so that they can actually get their business up and running. It's held at their um, centre in Kent and they work closely with the academy. They've got regional representatives, coordinators and business guides. So a lot of um, support is provided there and it has won some awards for franchising. So I just thought interesting to see um, there's, there are other things apart from fast food and fitness companies that you can buy into a franchise for. So that was expense reduction analysis. 
really interesting list. You can click on all of the companies in there to get the further background details on them and the finance costs. So that's a website called franchisedirect.co.uk. Where did you go with this, Heather? Well, I, um, I, I just Google generally, you know, what is franchising? Why might you um, become a franchisee? And I found a really interesting article on uh, the NatWest website where it talks about things that you need to consider. But I think the starting point has to be why would you become a franchisee in the first place? And essentially it's because it can mitigate the risk because if you're starting something from zero, you've got to build you've got to build the brand you've got to build the reputation you know you've got to you've got to know how to market you've got to know who your target audience is all of that stuff uh, and your, your 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 numbers yeah but if you if you take on a franchise that work's been done because it's a proven business system so that helps to mitigate some of the risk they've tested what works and what doesn't work and then they are on hand to help you to replicate what they've done. So the NatWest articles talks about um, choosing a sector that you're interested in. And I think that that, you know, very often people just particularly when you think of the numbers that you've just been mentioning, you know, people might have a budget in mind and they say have a budget in mind and, and kind of stick to that. But you can see how your budget might limit your options and then before you know it somebody's attracted to something say mcdonald's because they think well yeah you know how can you not make money out of you know franchising a mcdonald's well crikey it's 20-year commitment you know that's the thing that stays with me and high investment so find something that you're actually interested in uh, think about the hours that you want to work think about the industry that you want to work in and remember that you'll be going there day in day out because it will be your business they also talk about looking why other franchisees of that particular franchise have failed so explore where it's gone wrong for people so that you can anticipate whether that's likely to be a problem for you or learn from their mistakes so i thought those they go into various things that you need to think about but i thought those those two really sort of jumped out at me but then I then I found an article. It, it, it is um, it's in Forbes. So a lot of it is um, related to uh, the USA. Uh, it's some old data around the number of individuals who are over the age of 50 who are entering the world of self-employment and in particular becoming franchisees. And that seems to be olderpreneurs. Uh, these people who are over 50 who perhaps want to work a bit more flexibly want to control the hours that they work they might be juggling kids grandkids parents and so want to get away from the traditional nine to five they might have realized a pension pot that they want to um use you know to invest in their future uh, so there's lots of there's lots of information about that that um people over 50 are more likely to become a franchisee. But the, but the one thing that they also mention is the fact that once you're over 50, it can be harder to get employment. So you have to widen your 
horizons in terms of how you might earn a living. So I thought that was really interesting. And then finally, and this is something that we have mentioned on the show before, um, despite coronavirus, the National Franchise Exhibition is taking place this year. It's a virtual exhibition. It's on the 2nd and 3rd of October. And there are lots of stall, virtual stalls for all sorts, probably a lot of the companies that were on that list that you found, Tracy. But the, the, um, the organisers say uh, there are a few things that you should think about when you're considering um, a franchise. Uh, so they say take a look at the guide, obviously, and see who's there and do a bit of research. Turn up with a budget in mind. Um, and, and, and kind of know what that is, I guess a bit like going to an auction. Um, take a note of the people that you're talking to and what their approach is and whether that fits with your own um, values and your own expectation. And look at, um, that they're running some free online franchise workshops. So that could be a really good starting point um, to just get your head around how it all works. But as I say, that's coming up uh, at the beginning of October. So I saw an article on a website called startups.co.uk and I thought I'd just mention this. Um, a few of the cons of having a franchise here. It says you cannot escape hard work. <laughs> right, fair enough. Because you're starting a new business, okay, you've got a bit of a head start in terms of you might have had training, you've got ongoing support, it's um, a tried and tested business model, but you've still got to work for it. And it's not unheard of for you to be working 60 or more hours a week to start your business. So it's not an easy option. It's another option where you've already perhaps ironed, through some, ironed out some of the problems. The things that would get me most, and I think when I've spoken to people who've been in franchises, it, these two things would be the ones that I'd be most nervous of. The way you do things is not the way you do it. And so um, once you're established, you may feel that your uh, ability to make decisions or your creativity is restricted because you know, you look at McDonald's, you don't allow creativity in your franchisees. They want that McDonald's to look exactly the same yeah. all over the world. And some franchises have penalties if you don't actually follow the rules. And the other one is the lack of control you have uh, over the franchise means that another franchisee or the, the franchising company could ruin your business with a decision they make. So um, a PR disaster or, or that the, the franchise or doesn't keep up to date with developments. And that actually is completely out of your hands and your business could fail as a result of that. So I didn't want to sort of end this bit on a downer, but I thought it was quite important to look beyond, you know, just the, the positives and, the, and the, the financing and actually think about how you work as a business person and would you be okay working within those restrictions? You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And in other news, I noticed that at the end of August, Microsoft announced a new productivity feature and I've given it a go. It's transcription service, which is available to Microsoft 365 customers but only when you're using the browser-based version of Word. So it's not available in the app. You have to go to the online version of Word. There is already um, 
a service where you can record your voice like a dictation service but the transcription service is a way to record presentations or interviews where you've got conversations going on and it records the conversations and then transcribes them automatically apparently detecting different speakers so that after you finish the recording you can easily follow the flow of the script personally speaking having tested it i think it needs some work <laughs> but it did pick up the words really well and um my daughter, who was testing it with me, put on an awful Scottish accent to test it. And um, it, it managed to make out what words she was saying, even though she was putting on an awful accent. So from that point of view, it was good, but it didn't pick up between the two different voices, which is a bit odd because we've got very different voices. But well, particularly I, if she's doing a Scottish accent. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but it did make me realise, actually, that the dictation part of um, Word is, is very good anyway. It did make out a lot of the words. And I think sometimes if you're trying to be creative with your writing and, and the words aren't just flowing, maybe you switch to dictation and try and dictate and try and talk around it. Um, but transcribe... I think it, it's something to keep an eye on, have a go at, certainly. And it will also store the transcription for you for, um, I think it's up to five months. Oh, no, five hours a month, sorry. We'll store you five hours a month. And the file sizes are limited to 200 megabytes. Um, it's a free service, so it's not bad. But I, like I said, I think it might need a little bit of work. And the other news I've got, unfortunately, this is a programme that's only available in England at the moment, but it was too good not to mention, even though we're just over the border in Wales. And this is the Small Business Leadership Programme, which is aimed to support senior leaders to enhance their businesses, resilience and recovery from the impact of COVID. It's aimed at small and medium sized businesses and uh, the result is that participants will develop strategic leadership skills and the confidence to make informed decisions to boost business performance. The good news here, Heather, is that it's a fully funded 10-week programme delivered online by small business and enterprise experts from leading business schools. So eligibility criteria here are the business must be small or medium size, you need to employ between five and 249 people. So not micro business, sadly. The participant should be a decision maker or a member of the senior management team with at least one person reporting to them. And the participant must be able to commit to attending the full 10 week programme. And included in the curriculum, innovation and markets, leadership and employee engagement, vision, purpose and brand, demand creation and customer relationships, operational efficiency and financial management, and action planning and implementation. All in all, there's 20 business schools involved. They've all been accredited by the Small Business Charter, so you need to look out for that to make sure it's part of the right programme. I found this, this information from a website called smallbusinesscharter.org. So worth taking a look at if you meet those criteria. Small Business Leadership Programme, and it's funded by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. 
Very interesting, very interesting. I um, found an article uh, on the BBC. Um, it's nice to have a little bit of good news. Uh, the grocery chain, the co-op, who over recent years have really raised their game. I, I, you know, we have a local co-op. and uh, I love the co-op. Yeah, it's become, once upon a time, if you needed something, it would be a case of, I'll see what's in the co-op. Whereas now you can actually go to the co-op with the intention of buying something specific. And it's highly likely that they'll have it unless it's, you know, okra or something really random. But the co-op is opening 50 new stores and creating a thousand jobs this year. Um, it, it's because um, they said that about 70 percent of adults relied on their local convenience store much more during lockdown and during coronavirus. And that has meant that people actually um, have recognised the benefits of the co-op they haven't just gone in to buy their paper and their cigarettes or sweets or bread and milk they've noticed that actually you can buy yeah an awful lot of, of, of products they're also expanding their online shop um, so that in itself um, you know is showing growth and they're also opening some new co-op franchise stores which are they're launching this year um, then a couple of them are in universities, but they are franchising the co-op. So I thought that was quite interesting. Then something a little bit off uh, left field, uh, an article in Training Journal, which uh, we've talked in the past about mental health and, and um, well-being at work. Well, this is um, some training around recognising the five stages of grief, understanding and supporting employees with bereavement. And it talks about how um, managers uh, need to think, what policies and support systems need to be in place, um, where work fits into the grieving process uh, for, for your staff, how to be realistic about what you can expect and think about how you resource and support people through the wider team. So I just thought it looked, looked like a really interesting thing that needs to be on the agenda. Um, and, you know, maybe it's something that COVID has, has moved up the agenda, as it were. So I thought that was quite interesting. And then finally, not really news, but it's um, it was an article uh, published on Sunday. Uh, and it caught my eye because the headline is how Victorian female brewers broke the pint glass ceiling. It says as more women take charge of commercial commercial beer production, a new book reveals their pivotal role in the industry historically. And the research has been done by a guy called Roger Protz, and he has um, written a book called The Family Brewers of Britain, a celebration of British brewing heritage. Oh, that sounds like fun. Well, yeah. I mean, what's not to love? Uh, and he says that whilst you traditionally you would consider that beer was, you know, a male domain, actually there are an awful lot of women who were involved in beer production and at the helm of brewing companies. And when we consider that once upon a time women weren't actually allowed in bars, the <laughs> idea that they were good enough to make it but not good enough to drink it is quite interesting. Um, he said that uh, he, he says that when he started writing about beer in the in the mid 1970s, basically you could get mild or bitter, and now 
we've got so many British craft beers, golden ales, lighter beers, and they are the drinks that are often drunk by women. Um, but it, it, I just thought it was really interesting. It's an interesting story. I think the book would be would be quite interesting. He used to write a beer column for The Guardian until 2006. And he also has written um, lots of the good beer guides, uh, which is a staple in our household um, and has been for many, yes, many years. Yes, strangely yeah. enough uh, we're friends <laughs> yes exactly exactly you can't imagine why yeah can't imagine why we've both got that book so anyway yeah so those are my bits of news for this week um i'll put links to anything that we talk about in this week's show on our website which is the business.community this week our review is of a book called the four fixations of a brilliant leader this is by a gentleman called Alan J. Sears, whose previous publication was The Six Conversations of a Brilliant Manager. Now, I have to be honest, the reason we chose this was because it was recently published, so uh, 21st of July this year, and also because it was reasonably cheap on Kindle. And it showed up when we were doing a little bit of a search for pig wrestling. So, you know, sometimes when you, you've read a book and it suggests other books that you might like, well, we thought, well, we like pig wrestling. We'd quite like to review a book that's like pig wrestling. And lo and behold, this popped up. The online retailer suggested this book. And I have to say, my initial impressions were, yes, I like it. Not quite as much as pig wrestling. But in the same way, it used a story to get across some theory. Now, Heather, did you like the book or did you hate the book? All the time that I was reading it, I was thinking, Tracy's going to love this because it's a story. And she does love her, a story. Now, I think we just need to back up a moment because anybody who hasn't listened to any of our previous podcasts or shows might be thinking, why does she keep talking about pig wrestling? <laughs> it's not that we're actually into pig wrestling, but we we reviewed a book uh, about pig wrestling uh in the, and it's a business book so i think we just and need to problem solving yes problems, yeah we need to just yeah it's not about yeah Actual i just felt wrestling. i think we I, fe I felt we needed to cover that off Thank anyway you. so yeah i i knew that you'd love it because it was a story notwithstanding the fact that i'm reading it on the kindle app which as we know it, it really doesn't work for me um it was just it didn't really do it for me oh it didn't grab you no, because I just wanted to know, and this is a bit unusual for me, but I really just wanted to know what were the four fixations. So I'm reading all this story and I'm thinking, yeah, cut to the chase, cut to the chase, cut to the chase. And then I'd read something and so one of them is vision. So I'm like, okay, we're onto something here now, they're mentioning vision. But actually I could have just read the conclusion and that would have given me what I needed. Okay. Is that well, really bad? That's no, that's a really good pointer, isn't it? Because somebody might just want to look at the conclusion. And and sometimes that's how I feel about a book as well. I I don't want to know all the well, for example, and this is a fiction-based version, I don't really like Thomas Hardy. That's a bit of a a confession because it, it's all flowery language. So wordy, yes. Yeah, and I, yes. Want, I want to know what the story is. I don't necessarily need a portrait painting of what's going on. So um, sometimes when I'm reading a, um, 
a non-fiction book, I have the same feeling. But this one, I actually just enjoyed the story as well. Maybe it's because the lead character, Julianne Johnson, I connected with her. And I recognise some of the people in her team from teams that I've been involved in. So I, I was quite intrigued to see how she dealt with those people. I don't want to give it away and say what the four fixations are, just in case you don't want to just skip to the end. Mm. Um, but it, it's it's using the idea of a, a lady who's Julianne Johnson, who's recently taken over the division of a large healthcare company. And she calls a, a two-day team meeting to actually get the business back on track. And it, it literally talks you through the two full days and her thinking behind what she does with the teams. So I found it quite useful from the point of view. It was like, oh, I could do that in a workshop I'm facilitating or I could do this. Um, so, yeah, that, that was my sort of takeaway from it was, um, yes, I could have just read what the four fixations were. I imagine they weren't a surprise to you, Heather? No, I mean, not really i mean i i suppose with a lot of these things it's 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 what the choice of word is you know very often they mean the same thing and of course reading through the book you know there were certain things that that you you'd map on to particular areas and think yeah yeah absolutely i you know that's well i'm not saying the, the book itself was not um accurate or or thought provoking or anything but i just didn't really need to go all the way through the story however there were a couple of things a couple of things that i marked so at one point um she talks about um she's in conversation with somebody and she says we all think about what we're going to wear to work when we get dressed in the morning don't we she said all i'm asking is that every day we think for a moment or two about how we are going to be when we come into work as well as how we are going to look so how are we going to behave choose to be in a good mood choose to be productive choose to be and i thought that was really interesting because sometimes we get into this situation where we just shuffle into work you know and it, it it's our journey that you know we so we're having a bad day because our journey was bad or the kids were crying or whatever i thought that was really interesting um and and, and there are a few things throughout you know people who are drains and people who are radiators and so, so some things that makes you think I wonder where I fit into all of that or I wonder where John in accounts fits into all of that so um so there were some good bits in it but yeah I just didn't need the story and it's interesting then because it's described uh, in the blurb as a highly practical guide to delivering great lessons in leadership so I, I wouldn't take that from your um, assessment of it not highly practical from your point of view highly practical would be some bullet points um a little um box with with a summary of what happened in it and maybe some diagrams yes i think i, I wouldn't see this as a, as a reference book i think it, you know yes it you know it's it's interesting um it, it tells the story but actually there are some things within the book where he refers to other books and that might be the the most valuable element that you go okay for example he mentions um um a guy called roger van oich um who wrote a book called a whack on the side of the head 
and he talks about finding the second right answer. So uh, the team, if, if a team comes up with the answer, that's probably not as good as coming up with two answers and then ending up with a hybrid. So you'll absolutely get the best. So some of those types of things were quite mm. interesting. Yeah. Um, so are you inclined to, to buy his first book, The Six Conversations of a Brilliant Manager? I think I'd buy the, um, the summary if that was available. Yeah. <laughs> In case it's another story, I'd need to research it. Um, but, it's a very particular style, isn't it? So I yeah. imagine that the, his first book is along the same lines, which makes me inclined to want to buy it mm. because mm. That, that did engage me. But I, I can totally appreciate where you're coming from with it. There's not a lot of opportunity for you to stick post-it notes in this and you've got the Kindle version. So yeah, which a good start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, we'd need to have bigger houses if we just kept buying all the books that we review. Very true. And I don't mind a bigger house if somebody wants to fund it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's The Four Fixations of a Brilliant Leader by Alan J. Sears. Uh, I enjoyed it. Heather, so-so. And um, if you do go on to um, read this, it would be really interesting if you found our Facebook page, which is facebook.com, the business community. and leave us a message, tell us what you thought about it. This week we're profiling a lady who I hadn't heard of before, but we were doing some research around franchising and franchises and people who had been successful in um, setting up a franchise. And this lady um, came to light. Uh, we've mentioned the BBC's weekly series, The Boss, in the past, and they profile different business leaders from around the world. And this is where we found um, a lot of information about this lady. Her name is Kimberly Perry. Um, Kimberly spelt with L double E at the end. And she borrowed £200 from her husband uh, at a time when she um, was a mum. And she was on maternity leave. And she was feeling a bit lonely and was suffering from postnatal depression. She borrowed 200 quid from her husband and used it to buy eight secondhand trampolines. And from that, she developed a business that is called Bounce. And essentially, it's a dance class on trampolines, which um, was very um, parent friendly, uh, predominantly women coming together. So they were exercising, they were having fun. And you basically dance and trampoline in a kind of club vibe you know quite bouncy <laughs> bouncy music uh, <laughs> no pun intended there so so that's that's her story in in, in a nutshell but uh, she's she's quite interesting i think it, if only because this became massive apparently uh, before coronavirus she had 47000 monthly customers across uk Australia and New Zealand. Now she's originally from Australia, which is probably why she's got franchises in Australia and New Zealand. I picked up as well that um, although she said it was because of the postnatal depression was, was the push and the feeling isolated with having small children, another motivator was that she felt she'd missed out on a promotion 
So she used to be a sales manager in the events industry and said that she was overlooked for a promotion which she felt was rightly hers. So another motivation to actually set up a business and succeed at it. And now look at her. She's got 700 instructors and 320 franchise studios in the UK and 20 abroad. It seems to be doing really well with an annual turnover of £3 million last year. She's done really, really well. She's the sole director in the business. I looked that up on Company's House. Her husband is the secretary. Although they're um, sort of shortened account because it's a small company, you can see that the shareholders' funds did increase by £110,000 between 80, 2018 and 2019. So would appear that it was quite a profitable year for them. Not my sort of thing. I don't think I would bounce. It's not not my idea of fun, bouncing up and down. But I've got to say, I've watched a few videos of the classes and they do look like they're fun. They look like they've created a really good community. And you were saying they were family friendly. One of the things that she said was quite important was that people felt happy to take their children in their pushchairs so they could sit at the side of the class, which isn't always allowed in, in fitness classes that you go to. Yeah, I think that was really important. And and what she found was that it, you know, from a very small, you know, from eight trampolines, it actually got to a point where there were she was said she was doing twelve classes a week and she was she was losing weight. I was thinking, well, I might do twelve classes a week. That might be that might be the answer. But then she decided that because she couldn't physically deliver all of the classes, she spoke to um uh, her accountant, I think it was, um, they suggested that she speaks she spoke to a franchising specialist. And then she looked at, and so she now has franchised it. So she's got franchisees all over the place. Plus she employs some staff and she's got um, 16 staff. And so she does these massive classes where there are a hundred trampolines. Um, so she's, she's still doing the doing. She's not just running a franchise business, but also she's managed to franchise it um, to, to various various people. So, yes. She says it's quite important to her that she still does deliver classes as well so that she understands what her franchisees are, are dealing with. But I did notice if you are interested in a franchise around North Wales or even Mid Wales, there seems to be a big blank area where there's no little flags on her franchise map. So... I think I could only see one franchise in the whole of Wales and that was South Wales. So either people in Wales don't like to bounce or there's a, a gap in the market for you to set up a bouncing class. I don't Maybe know. they don't know. Maybe they don't know about bouncing so they can't begin to decide that they don't like it. I, I did have a look at the website um, and they, they've got a little bit of information on their website called bouncefitbody.com on um, how to become an instructor. So you, you can actually become an instructor without owning a franchise as well. So you could train to be a, an instructor and then go and work for another franchise holder. Or you could step up and then own a franchise yourself. And it says here that approximate monthly income from four classes a week is £1,200. So I think you might need to do a few more calculations there because I don't know what your expenditure would be. 
so whether the income of £1,200 is, is that your turnover or is that your take-home pay? So there's obviously quite a few numbers there, um, but they, they've got all the details on their website. So, yeah, really inspirational lady. I think she's only in her mid-30s, isn't she? Yeah, and she she, she she seems to be... I mean, she, I saw an article where she was giving some tips um, on how to build a successful business. Uh, she talks about um, how, you know, franchising was quite scary because she just didn't know how it worked. But she said that she just asked questions and she said, don't be afraid to ask questions. You won't know everything when you set up in business. Uh, yeah, just a really nice story. And somebody, as I said at the beginning, somebody that I'd never heard of. And yet I imagine that for a lot of people, probably predominantly women this is the sort of thing that you could do of an evening a bit like you know ladies who do weight watchers or um party plan stuff you know a sort of part-time income i think it could be a really good thing and one of the obvious questions is how have they coped with covid uh, and, and at the end of the article, it talks about um, how they moved classes online um, from April and they were offering eight classes a day, seven days a week. You might then think, well, that's OK for Bounce, their head office. But what about all the poor franchisees who've had to close their studios? And it does appear, I, I don't have the details on this, but it, um, Kimberly said in this interview that she split the profits from the online classes between her franchisees, which I think is, is a really nice move. Mm. Presumably they didn't have to, but at the end of the day, she wants her franchisees to still be in business. So yeah. it, it does make sense that she shared those profits with them. So that's all we've got time for on the business community this week. We do hope you'll join us again in two weeks time for a recorded show. Um, next week, Heather is on holiday, and so it's my task to pull together a little compilation. So I'm going to try and find some interesting things for you to listen to, and some of I might perhaps pick from some of the shows where uh, we've had the most listens, so clearly other people think they're interesting too. So do join us again next week for more news, views, and reviews from the world of business. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.